Welcome to CTSI Science Cafe, a community engagement initiative of the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin. This program is recorded in front of our live community audience at St. Anne Center for Intergenerational Care, Bucyrus Campus in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. This September 2017 Science Cafe features a presentation and community conversation focusing on prostate cancer, what the future holds. Our guest presenter is Dr. Lawrence Holmes, Director of Education and Training at the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin and Professor at the Medical College of Wisconsin. Here now is Dr. Lawrence Holmes. Thank you very much and thank you for that introduction. Prostate cancer is a very silent disease. Often, by the time we diagnose it, that life is gone. Women do not have prostate gland. Women do not have prostate cancer. Prostate cancer only affects men. Every 20 minutes, a man dies from prostate cancer, meaning that every day we lose 75 lives because of prostate cancer. Every six minutes, prostate cancer is being diagnosed. But prostate cancer is a preventable disease. Over the years, the risks have been known to be very high among certain subpopulations, particularly African Americans. We don't know why. But what I like to say, as I'm standing here today, for this year alone, 161,000 men will be diagnosed with prostate cancer, and 26,000 will die from the disease. Currently, there are 2.9 million of Americans with cancer of the prostate. That 2.9 million relates to the population of Chicago. Yet, what do we know about the disease and what are we doing about it? In a life of a man, one out of every seven will be diagnosed with prostate cancer. At age 70 years and older, one out of every six will be diagnosed with prostate cancer. Prostate cancer increases with advanced age. That's one thing we do know. It increases with advanced age. And why? As we age, there are certain organs in the human body that undergoes what is called atrophy. It starts decreasing in size. Unfortunately, prostate cancer carries a mixed message. As we get older, the prostate starts enlarging. As it enlarges, it's not enlarging externally, but internally. We call that medially, towards the ureter. It then blocks the flow of the urine. So the sign of advancing prostate cancer starts to develop when we start having problems with urinating. We start having back pain. We start having chest pain. We start having blood in the urine and blood in the semen. So those are all the advancing signs of prostate cancer. When prostate cancer is being diagnosed and we start to treat the disease, those signs start coming in. However, those signs are not commonly found in early stage prostate cancer. And that is why men often die with prostate cancer and not from prostate cancer. Because age is a determinant of mortality. There is always a competition what we die from. 
But as we get older, we'll die from cardiovascular problems, hypertension, rather than cancer of the prostate. But because cancer of the prostate is a preventable disease, I think we need to act now. It's been shown that health education has been shown to save at least 10 lives from dying out of 1,000 diagnosed with cancer of the prostate. Information is powerful. It could lead to survival. It could lead to the prolongation of life. But we have to know the right information. Let's start by looking at the risk factors. What is it that we do know that tends to increase the risk of this cancer? For one thing we know, advancing age. The older we are, the more likely it is that we'll develop cancer. The younger we are, the less likely. At age 35 to 40, it's very rare among men. But as soon as we start getting to 55, the risk starts increasing. As we get older, we are more likely to be diagnosed with inflammation, the changes that leads to pain, swelling, redness, those are all the signs of inflammation. With this inflammation comes various malignancies. However, inflammation is not a very well-established risk factor for cancer of the prostate. It's not well-established. We are still trying to find out why do some men with inflammation move on to develop cancer of the prostate if they have inflammation of the prostate itself. The way to deal with this problem is to sit down and consider other things that might predispose to cancer of the prostate. Having many clinical conditions like hypertension, cardiomyopathies, plus diabetes, those things will all add up to the risk of somebody developing cancer of the prostate if they have prostatitis. Having talked about advancing age, what we do know with certainty is race. African-American men have the highest risk of developing cancer of the prostate. This risk increases a lot for African-Americans in this country and for the Caribbean blacks. Those are the two places upon which the risk of developing prostate cancer is relatively higher among black people. What else do we know? Whites tend to have a lower risk compared to blacks, but Asians have lower risk compared to whites. The risk is intermediate as well among Hispanics. It's not very high among Hispanics. The question becomes, why is it that African Americans are having the highest risk of this condition here? We don't know. But one of the things we do know is environmental factors that tends to drive that risk among African Americans. In order to prove this year, we have looked at Asians in Asia. As soon as they come to America, the risk for Asians start increasing, indicative of environmental factors. So there's a role of environment when it comes to identifying race as one of the known risk factors for prostate cancer. What else do we know that is certain? The family history. If a father develops prostate cancer, there is increased likelihood that the son will develop one. But if a brother develops prostate cancer, there is higher risk that his brother is going to develop one. So the risk increases with brothers compared to father and son. Especially the risk get higher if the brother is diagnosed at a very young age. 
So we are struggling to understand this disease. But given what we've known, prostate cancer runs in families. So because it runs in families, we need to start prevention in those families in order to prevent people from developing the disease. I sustain that the fact that your brothers got prostate cancer or your father is not a determinant that you will develop one. Human gene is no destiny. We can alter the gene through lifestyle. We can change the trajectory of the disease. So family history, what we should not, increases the chance of developing cancer of the prostate. What else do we know? Genetic factor, inheritance, or the changes within the gene. These changes within the gene here could lead us to developing cancer of the prostate. However, there's only a very small proportion, very small fraction of prostate cancer that develops because of the gene. What else do we know in terms of risk factors that is not very well established? Let's start the list. Diet. What sort of diet is associated with increased risk of developing cancer of the prostate? High-fat diet. Red meat increases the risk of developing cancer of the prostate. It is quite unfortunate what we recommend to help us sustain good bones has been shown to be associated with cancer of the prostate, which is calcium. One size does not fit everybody anymore. Excessive intake of calcium has been known to lead to prostate cancer risk. We are still battling to be able to establish these factors here, but that's one of the known risk factors. What else do we know? Obesity. Heavy set men are more likely to die from prostate cancer. What else do we know? Cigarette smoking is not to be a direct risk of developing the cancer, but to lead to cancer mortality. Once diagnosed with prostate cancer, an individual smoked and keeps on smoking, the risk of dying increases. So cigarette smoking is well established in terms of increasing death due to prostate cancer. What else do we know? Geography. Where people live determines their risk. The risk is higher in North America, Northwestern Europe, and in the Caribbean. Whereas the risk tends to be lower in Asia, South America, as well as Africa. The reason why we are seeing this low risk here, we don't know clearly. But one of the things that we can explain is that in these countries, the screening may be low. They don't screen their patients enough for us to be able to identify all those cases. That's a possible explanation why those risks have been claimed in those countries to be lower. However, because when agents come over to America, their risk increases, environment could possibly explain why the risk in those countries are lower compared to the other countries that I've mentioned. What else seems to be some of the risk? Sexually transmitted disease, gonorrhea. That disease had been shown to increase the risk of the development of prostate cancer. However, findings are not very conclusive. We are still struggling be between combining all those studies to see whether or not we can place that risk factor as being conclusive. In this section here, I end by saying that all those risk factors that I've mentioned there are claimed in medicine to be inconclusive. Whenever a man is within those risk factors, we have to take medicine away from science and apply the art in considering every other thing that could result in
the development of cancer of the prostate, besides the risk the man is being exposed to. Those are the things we do know with risk factors, and there are lots of things we don't know. Another example would be exposure to chemicals. For those of you guys who are old enough to remember the Vietnam War, what was used in Vietnam? Agent Orange was a chemical. And we have shown that Agent Orange contributes to the development of prostate cancer. That very exposure during the war. What we do know also, but not with established pesticides. We have shown that farmers constantly applying the pesticides, especially when there is a family history, they are more likely to develop prostate cancer. So pesticides play a role. Having reflected on these risk factors, what else do we need to know? How do we diagnose this disease and how do we detect it? In order to prolong life, because our intent is to prolong life with quality. That's the goal of medicine, not only to prolong life, but to prolong life with quality. And the only way we can prolong life with quality following this diagnosis is early diagnosis. If we can diagnose a tumor at stage one, where it's being localized, the survival increases. So I'm sure we have heard things like prostate-specific antigen. It's not prostate-specific anxiety. It's antigen. What we use to diagnose the disease is the prostate-specific antigen, the PSA. Whenever a man is 50, 55, he should recommend his PSA to be taken. That was then. It's no longer today. At age 40, PSA must be assessed. At age 40, the reason being that this year, we came out with a recommendation that younger men are being diagnosed with prostate cancer at a very advanced stage of the disease. And those lives are going away. 30 to 40% of cancer spread will be safe if we start diagnosing very early at age 40. The recommendation just came out that we should start now to screen very early in order to stop metastasis, in order to prevent mortality. We must start screening very early in order to diagnose the tumor. The question then becomes, what is the advantage of using PSA when indeed PSA has false? We have false finding with PSA. We are able to have men with prostate cancer whose PSA becomes negative. The PSA says they don't have it, but they do have it. And in some cases, the PSA fails to identify the tumor. And in some cases, a PSA says that there's a tumor, whereas there is no tumor. Is that the reason why we started condemning the test? Regardless of the test findings, PSA, that test, prolongs life. It increases survival. As men, we need to be aware of PSA and ask for it at a very early stage. At age 40, we should ask for PSA screening. Doing this increases survival regardless of the nature of the test itself. We can condemn PSA despite the fact that it's not very specific. We cannot condemn this test. We have to wait and interpret PSA accurately. That's what we can do. You have physician, the primary care doctor, should be able to make referrals when the PSA is being taken. Let's take an example. If the PSA comes back, you say like, for example, 1.5, which is basically indicative of malignancy. In a man that is 40 years, 
we don't want to do any surgery. We have to do other things. We have to observe that PSA to see whether it's going to double the next year. We have to observe that man that is 40 years to see how many other conditions like cardiovascular diseases, diabetes that that man has. When we put all this together, we can then interpret the PSA and move towards either the biopsy and then move forward and recommend surgery. I sustain if we can capture that tumor on time and perform surgery. The five-year survival is 99%, but if we wait longer, the survival is being compromised and the quality of life is going. Engage your primary care physicians to make a recommendation for the PSA to be taken. And if we are very young, to observe the doubling of that PSA the next year. If it doesn't double, there's nothing we can do about it. We need to wait. What else do we do besides the PSA that I've indicated is not very specific, but it's the only test that we do have currently. We cannot ignore a test because it's not specific, but we can wait for alternative tests that will be more specific. But in the process of waiting, we need to act now by engaging our primary care physicians. In case surgery is recommended, I sustain that we look for urologists who have done many surgeries in that direction because the volume of surgery performed is what leads to improved treatment itself. If a surgeon had done less than 100 surgery on prostate, please shop, go to somewhere else. What else do we do to diagnose the disease? There is what is called the digital rectal examination. The prostate is in front of the rectum. In the process of determining whether or not there are nodules, the swelling within the prostate, we go through the rectal area and then palpate the prostate gland. That very portion there will be able to tell us whether or not we need to proceed with the next step called the prosthetic biopsy, a fine needle aspiration biopsy. By simply going in there and taking a tiny tissue to observe to see whether or not that very tissue is going to lead to uncontrolled growth of the prostate. Because what is cancer? Cancer is nothing but a disease of the cell that does not allow the cell to respond to regular normal cellular division. The way the cell is being divided now gets outside the control of cellular division. That is cancer. Cancer cells are cells that are no longer controllable. It's like a teenager who doesn't want to listen to mom or dad, and that's what cancer cells do. They lose the control. They outside the regulatory mechanism. Those are cancer cells. And what we can do to limit this abnormal growth is to be able to identify this on time. So besides this digital rectal examination that is being performed, we do have other tests. We could use ultrasound to look at the pathology of the prostate itself. That will allow us to see whether or not there's gonna be a need for surgery. So following this year, we are now able to diagnose prostate cancer today compared to what we did 10 years ago. We are advancing with skills and knowledge given experience in this area. The treatment is better today than it was 20 years ago. We are more able to save the nerves that are all part of the prostate itself than we did 20 years ago. In the process of going extra miles, there are a lot of promises today. 
we need men to be more aware of the tests and to seek for intervention and treatment. Regardless of your race, your ethnicity, prostate cancer is a silent disease. And because it's a silent disease, we need to act now. By looking at all these factors here and what leads to the diagnosis, we can stop the head of a family or someone who protects the family from leaving the family sooner than it should. Men are stubborn in terms of seeking health care. And given what we have known, it is time for us to act collectively as a family to recommend a test. Drive your husband for PSA tests. Drive your son, your brother, encourage them to go for PSA. If you fail to act, you become nothing but a facilitator to, for that life to live. Please act now. Mothers, encourage your sons. Fathers, encourage your sons. Wives, encourage your husbands. We need to know. The sooner we diagnose the malignancy, the tumor, the better for the survival. We do have something else that we need to talk about, which is prevention. How can we prevent this disease? Medicine does not have a certain answer. We have no certainty when it comes to prevention of prostate cancer. But what we can do, we can reduce the risk. We are unable to prevent. To say that a man is not going to develop the disease, I can't make that statement. But we are able to reduce the risk of developing this disease. So how do we prevent the incidence of prostate cancer? The first thing, let's look at nutrition, diet. Over the past years, we have studies on lycopene. You guys said something like lycopene is very rich substance contained in tomatoes. I encourage men to consume enough tomatoes. I encourage men to eat a lot of ketchup to reduce the risk. I encourage men to eat lots of veggies and fruits and to avoid red meat and high-fat diet in order to reduce the risk. I encourage men to exercise a lot. I encourage men to lose weight and sustain normal weight. The chances that a man diagnosed with prostate cancer, treated for the disease and survives, will develop a second cancer depends on two basic things, weight maintenance and avoidance of alcohol. If you do not want to develop cancer again, having been diagnosed with prostate cancer and followed for the disease, please exercise and do not consume alcohol. Failure to do this increases your risk for second primary malignancy, typically cancer of the colon. There's something that we need to know about the prostate. What really is the role of prostate in the human body? In a young man, the prostate is the size of a walnut. This is a small organ with a big problem. On top of it, there's what is called the seminal vesicle, upon which the majority of the fluid that gets into the semen comes from that seminal vesicle. So the function of the prostate is to secrete fluid to add to that semen in order to protect the sperms from the vaginal acidity. So because of this here, that organ has been there to perform a function. It's got a role to play. But that role to play should not basically compromise survival. Let me mention one prevention that we've seen over the years. Aspirin decreases the risk of cancer of the prostate. Vitamin D lowers the risk of prostate cancer. The consumption of vitamin D and C decreases the effect of vitamin D. Calcium antagonizes vitamin D. 
and leads to a small availability in order to protect the prostate from further enlargement. So we mentioned lycopene, fruits and veggies, we mentioned aspirin, we mentioned vitamin D. Those decrease the risk of developing cancer of the prostate. We did make mention of exercise and then weight control. Those are the things we should do collectively as a community. At this point here, I'd like to talk about the treatments very briefly. What are the treatments? In terms of the treatment, we like to classify the tumor into stages. In stage one, we're talking about localized tumor. The tumor is just there in the prostate. It's not moving to anywhere. The chances of survival is very, very high with surgery. What else do we do? Radiation. Radiation therapy plays a role. I recommend, depending on the stage of diagnosis, radiation should not be the first pathway when it comes to cancer of the prostate. Depending on the stage upon which the malignancy is detected, radiation should not be the first approach. Laparoscopic surgery and robustic surgery indicates to us that we can go through the prostate by pulling the nerves away and resecting the tumor. We are moving away from the nerves as we did in the past. Surgery had a disadvantage of impotence, erectile dysfunction, because of our inability to sever the nerves. And that was why men tended to say no to surgical resection when it came to prostate cancer. Folks, those days are over. We are getting better every day than we were in the past. What else do we do? Chemotherapy. When a tumor is advanced and surgery is being done and the tumor tends to come back, that is when we recommend chemotherapy. The next approach is hormonal therapy. The area that we've worked over the years is called androgen deprivation therapy, ADT. Unfortunately, we got into this field using androgen deprivation therapy because of the the wrong data we had in the past, that the prostate depended on testosterone when it starts growing. We then realized that as the cancer keeps on advancing, it no longer uses hormone to divide. So if you treat anyone with hormonal therapy, we are actually destroying the life of that individual. So hormonal therapy can only be effective at the very early onset in treating the malignancy. But as tumor starts growing, hormonal, hormonal therapy plays no role. Recently, we just completed clinical trials on two of them. We are not sure whether or not hormonal therapy com compared to chemo will prolong survival. But what we do know is that the first approach at the early stage of the malignancy is to go through surgical resection. But we do know. But that decision cannot be taken without your ability to examine who, who provides a better surgery for you in order to be able to prolong your survival. What else do we know? Immunotherapy is advancing being able to increase the immune responsiveness. The reason being that the immune system is protective, is the gatekeeper. Things change within the cells. It is only when the immune system allows those changes to become carcinogenic, 
individual develop cancer of any type. The fact that it's not everyone who smokes cigarettes who develops cancer doesn't mean that we should start smoking. It means that we should stop smoking because we may not be one of those who do not develop cancer. Given what we've known and what we don't know, it is our responsibility to protect our families by reducing those risks. And having said this here, it becomes a collective effort. Wives, talk to your husbands. Men, talk to your sons. It is our intent to prevent this preventable disease from killing American men. We could do this in a better way. There's still something that we need to know about cancer of the prostate, and that is exposure is one thing. We are all being exposed. But being able to act on what we need to do to prevent that risk is the most important thing. So the message I like to leave behind is simple. We cannot prevent prostate cancer, but we can lower the risk. Thank you. Thanks for listening to CTSI Science Cafe, brought to you by the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin and recorded live at St. Anne's Center for Intergenerational Care, Bucyrus Campus in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Join us and be part of our next community conversation. To learn more about CTSI Science Cafe and how you can attend, please visit our website at ctsi.mcw.edu. And be sure to also check out our CTSI Discovery Radio podcast series as well. CTSI Science Cafe is produced by Dr. Oshoya Garrison, co-produced by Brian Belmer. The CTSI and this program are under the direction of Dr. Doriel Ward and Dr. Reza Shakir.